Before I get into the study, um, Chuck used to have the saying, you know, God does work supernaturally, naturally. And um, I'm old-fashioned with the way I do things. I've kept every Bible study I've ever given. I don't use an iPad when I type out my sermons because I don't type. I still handwrite every message. And um, every Sunday, usually I'll fold these things in half. And on Tuesday when we have our staff meeting, I'll open my Bible and I'll take out Sunday's message. And I have a fish tank in my office. And underneath it is a box. The box is this big by about that big. And um, there's at least 14 to 15 years of Sunday morning messages in that box. So I went to put it on the top because now it's gone past the top and they're single file and I just can't get it to stay anymore because it's falling over. So I'm forced to deal with put, putting these things in stacks this big, putting rubber bands upon them. And I'm doing this for like 20 minutes, taking these, off, these messages from the last 15 years, stacks this big, putting rubber bands, and finally getting towards the bottom of the box. I haven't looked at any of them, but with about 10 of them left on the bottom, stop and I got to tell a story. Um, Mary came in, as she always does on Tuesday, and I said, well, you know, I've, I've read ahead, and chapter 23, verse 6, is one of the clearest prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. So I came in in the morning, and I said, Mary, come on in. I already have the text for Sunday, and I'll give it to you now. And I said, I have an assignment for you. Here is the Lord is our righteousness, Jehovah to signet to, or something along those lines. I'll have the pronouncement better for you on Sunday. But I asked her to get me all the different names of the Lord from Genesis to Revelation. So we were, I was talking to her about that, and I told her what my text was going to be. It's going to be Jeremiah 23, 1 through 6. All right, back to my cleaning up my, my messages of 15 years. I'm getting towards the bottom of the box. And I thought, I'm going to take one of these things out and actually look at it. And so I pulled the one. It was folded over like this, and it was towards the bottom, and I opened it up, and it said, Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. I sat on the floor for the next half an hour. I really did. Do you know the story where the Lord says, guys, they were fishing all night, and couldn't, there wasn't any fish? He says, why don't you try the other side of the boat? That's about one of the dumbest things you can possibly say to a fisherman. <laughs> so they did. And what happened? Well, the nets were filled. And all Peter or John could say was, it's the Lord. The fish meant nothing to them, but what had just happened was the Lord. And what happened today to me was one of those, um, the Lord working supernaturally, naturally. And I have absolutely no doubt about it. And I looked at that, and I looked at the notes, and I began reading it. Uh, no, it's going to be a fresh study. I don't like leftovers. <laughs> so I'm going to have a new study. But my text was right there, Jeremiah 23, one through six, that's our text for Sunday, and the title is the same. And it's somewhere between, we've gone through the Bible four times now, so I don't really know which one it is, because I don't know how many years exactly. There was between 700 and 1,000 messages in the, in the box, in, in what I calculated. And I, then I began to do a little probability study of what are the chances that I would pick that particular one, and it's off the charts. 
All that to say this, it's simply the Lord. And sometimes you need a word of encouragement. And evidently the Lord felt I needed one today, so he literally sat me down and, um, and uh, goes, you know, I'm right here all the time, whether you're aware of it or not. And uh, so I had to share that story. I'll share it again on Sunday because I, I just think it's a great story. I called my wife right away. I wanted to, had to tell somebody. <laughs> and then we had, whenever we have a, a staff birthday party, we do a famous Dave sing. And uh, it's Holly's birthday, and it was Amy Spreeman's birthday. So we, uh, we uh, do famous Daves. And uh, we, after we sang happy birthday, I, I told the story. I brought them in my office, and here's 15 years of messages laying on. I wanted to leave them there just for a special effect for the stories <laughs> so they could see it. Anyway, if you're visiting with us, we're in the middle of a heavy book. Um, we have a broken-hearted prophet with a broken-hearted message. It's the same message over and over again. And the message is basically this, that judgment because of the the sins of their father is imminent. It's going to come from Babylon. It's going to come from the north. Um, So I just want to give you another heads up that as we continue to study the Bible, you know, you, you 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 get it all. You get the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we can't go around the parts that we think are hard for people to hear. Because basically when you're doing this, all of a sudden you run into a chapter like this and you have one of the, the greatest prophecies in the scripture. Uh, and it's in the middle of, um, in middle of Jeremiah. So every cloud has a silver lining. Um, it's dark as we begin the first couple chapters here because he's speaking an indictment. It says it's to the pastors, but... What we really have in view here is the kings, the politicians, and the people who are in a rulership position. They're the one calling the shots. And so as we pick it up in chapter 23, when we read, Woe to the shepherds, we're talking about the leaders. It's not necessarily what we would consider like a pastor teacher today. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pastor, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people, You have scattered my flock, you have driven them away, you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doing, says the Lord. And so the first two two verses are sort of a leftover, and we're going to be getting into, in this chapter, um, Jeremiah's 10th sermon, and his 11th sermon will be in 24. Um, So the first part of it, is this indictment. Again, judgment is coming, and the fault lies with with those in charge of the country. So picking it up in verse 13, we have a change with this word but. But I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries where I have driven them, and I'm going to bring them back to their folds, and they will be fruitful and increase. I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them, And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be lacking, says the Lord. Now, he's looking ahead to a time where he's going to deal with the remnant. And then it says in verse 5, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. 
In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. It is a direct reference to um, the Lord Jesus Christ. It tells us and uh, shows us here that the Lord still is going to work with Israel. Uh, For hundreds of years, Bible teachers, Bible colleges, going way back to um, 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 the first Bible schools that ever existed, uh, there was no Israel, remember, after 70 A.D. They simply didn't exist. And they don't come back on a scene until 1948, May, May 14th. It's going on 70 years for them. So imagine teaching a book like Daniel or a book like Revelation, which primarily deals with prophecies about Israel, and there is no Israel. So what do you do with the book of Revelation? Because it's all about Israel. From chapters. Two and three, that's all about the church. That's all in red letters. But you're picking it up with chapter six all the way up to chapter, the end of uh, 16. The end of 16 is the final judgment. And uh, 17 and 18 are actually, um, one is a one world religion that we see happening right now and the other one's a one world government. And uh, I'll talk more about the one world government as we're seeing a lot of ecumenicalism in all directions, and all camps, pointing towards Rome. I got off the phone yesterday with uh, Roger Oakland. Or was it the day before? I don't remember. And uh, he was with Rob Yardley, who was on Pastor Chuck's board for many, many years. And we had to get his hotel. This is a plug for the Prophecy Conference, by the way, where I'm at right now. <laughs> Roger's going to be with us. But we needed to know when he's coming and when he's going to get his hotel room straight. And he says, well, Dwight, we're getting ready to go into St. Such-and-Such Church. And it just went right over my head. I thought he was in California. Well, he's not. He says, well, I'm with Rob Yardley. And I said, well, let me say hi. Well, you just don't say hi to Rob. Rob is a guy you talk to for a while. So I was talking to him for about a half an hour. And, went on, and he says, yeah, we're in Rome. I said, you're in Rome? What are you doing in Rome? And um, he said, well, they've asked Roger to do a keynote message on uh, the road to Rome, which is one of the sessions that I've asked him to do here. In a nutshell, the road to Rome is what we see happening in the church today. I'm going to be talking about false prophets in just a little bit. Now, in the context of the scriptures here, of the historical part of Jeremiah that we're studying, it's dealing with false prophets saying one thing and Jeremiah saying another thing. Jeremiah had nobody who would follow him, nobody who would listen to him, and nobody who would believe him. They didn't like his message. What was his message? Judgment's imminent, and it's going to come out of Babylon, and nothing's going to change it. The false prophets, we'll get into in verses 9 through the rest of the chapter, were saying a completely different message. Don't worry about a thing. Everything's cool, but nothing could be farther from the truth. Now, what Mike, as, as we apply this to what's going on today, um, it doesn't matter what branch, denomination, be it Protestant, be it Roman Catholic, even in the Calvary Chapel movement itself, there's a move towards unity, and there's a, uh, a, a move towards um, uniting 
at the cost and the sake of setting aside doctrinal issues that would ordinarily cause division. People forget all the people that died with the Reformation. You guys remember the Reformation, what that was all about? Martin Luther, a Catholic priest, uh, understand that salvation was not by works, but by God's grace. He took a stand. And when he took a stand, so did a lot of other people. You know what happened to them? They were burned at the stake. And um, now we're living in the last days. The Bible says in the last days there's going to be a one world religion. So we have to look out there and ask the question, do we see the church at large moving in that direction? And the answer is absolutely yes. So uh, I'm sort of kidding with, with, um, with Roger because we, were, we visited Rome. And one of the churches that, that the, you, you go to, you can only get into the church if you walk up on your knees. And I think this was the one they were going into. You can't just walk on. You, have, you go one knee at a time. And I says, now, Roger, you're getting kind of old, and I want you to get your knee pads out for if you're going to go in and, and get this particular church. <laughs> but anyway, he was there, and they're doing research, um, and that's going to be his topic. Boy, did I get sidetracked on that one, huh? <laughs> so, as we see here, my point with all this is to remember there hasn't been an Israel. So, you can understand dominionism and replacement theology. You say, what is that, Dwight? Well, because Israel rejected their Messiah, um, God has rejected them. And uh, therefore, it became very, very popular in the denomination that I grew up in. It was actually, many people in it were anti-Semitic. And they just simply wrote the, the Jewish people off. There was always a small remnant of Bible teachers that would say, I don't get this right now. But if God says that he's going to deal with Israel and bring them back, and this all becomes clear. I just happened to flip my Bible open. 9, 10, and 11. For, you, for those of you who are taking notes tonight, verse, verse 11, and I really did just flip it open. This is what it says. I say then, has God for, forsaken his people? Certainly not. Certainly not. Here's the remnant that we read back in Jeremiah. The Lord changes the subject. He has an indictment against the, um, the leadership because um, they're encouraging the people. Well, first of all, they're very ungodly and very immoral. And they were the standard and the people were following the standard. And then all of a sudden in verse 3, we switch gears big time. Now one of the things I've been pointing out as we study the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse is this is common. This is not uncommon. That in one verse, you can have um, a thousand years in one verse. Let me just give you an example. Um, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It says, Behold, your king comes lowly riding on a colt of a fold. Zechariah 9, 9. That was fulfilled on Palm Sunday. But verse 10, one verse later, it says, And he will, his kingdom and his dominion will be from sea to sea. Now, Jesus came 2,000 years ago, and the very next verse talks about something that hasn't even happened yet. He's talking about the kingdom age when the Lord would rule. But my point is, it switches. Now, here's another good example. We have an indictment in the first couple of verses, but it says, but the day's coming when I'm going to send the Lord 
of righteousness. And it is a prophecy, and um, he will establish his, his own kingdom. Verse 7 and 8, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that they shall no longer say, As the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up and led the descendants of the house of Israel from the north country and from the countries where I have driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. Been fulfilled. Israel um, was established uh, under the Bellflower Agreement, and um, people began to move back to Israel. They lived in kibbutzes. They drained the swamps, and they took a dry and desolate and barren land, and just like it says in Ezekiel 36, they made it look like the Garden of Eden. When it had nothing today, it is the fourth largest producers of fruit in the entire world. It's about the size of New Jersey, and it produces a quarter of the world's fruit. The technology today, guys, is not Silicon Valley. It's Tel Aviv, and uh, this is where the major computer industries are, are popping up. All right, so verses 7 and 8 here. This is one of the most remarkable prophecies in the Bible. The oldest uh, religious holiday celebrated today is the Jewish Passover. Regardless of whether the Jew is Reformed or Orthodox, he remembers the Passover because it's the celebration of the miraculous deliverance of the Jews out of Egypt. Now God is saying that the day is coming when I will bring them back into their land. Uh, They will forget the deliverance out of Egypt, and they will remember this new deliverance which I intended to accomplish. It will be tremendous. Obviously, God is not through with the nation of Israel. Um, Mary told me in passing today that uh, Putin and Iran and Turkey are now talking about forming an alliance. And what I just told you is cutting edge, like it's happening right now. And when we read Ezekiel 38, these are, you know, we've watched Turkey vacillate back and forth um, over, especially over the last couple months. But the key players of the coming war in the Middle East is Ezekiel 38, and the kingpin is Russia, and the first na- nation mentioned is Persia, or Iran. And in that list also is Turkey. So they're talking today about forming this alliance. So, um, God's plan for Israel, uh, hear me loud and clear. Uh, we are on the verge, like I said on Sunday, of uh, Elijah once again being on the scene, and that could actually happen within the next couple of years depending upon how patient the Lord is with the church and uh, taking the church out of here. All right, now beginning with verse 9, we have Jeremiah's 10th sermon. He's got all these messages. And really, when you read them, they're all saying the same thing. It amazes me that he can do so many chapters, say it so many different ways, but basically all saying the same thing. This one is directed straight at those that are teaching contrary to what the Lord told Jeremiah to speak. So picking up in verse 9, he says, My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I'm like a drunken man, like a man 
uh, whom wine has overcome because of the Lord and because of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers and became a curse. The land uh, mourns. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Their course of life is evil uh, and their might is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yes, in my house I have found their wickedness, says the Lord. Therefore, uh, their way shall be to them like a slippery way, we would say a slippery slope. In the days they shall be driven, and, uh, on, and I will fall in them, and I will bring disaster on them. The day of their punishment, says the Lord. I've seen the folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied by Baal. Now, we talked about Baal on Sunday when we talked about Elisha. Baal worship was introduced into Israel uh, because of the mixed marriage of Ahab when he married Jezebel. Uh, she worshipped Baal, and she brought Baal worship into Israel and caused my people Israel to err. I've seen a horrible thing in, in the prophets of Jerusalem. They commit adultery. They walk in lies. Uh, they also strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns back from his wickedness. All of them are like Sodom to me and the inhabitants of Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets. Now the Lord is speaking. Behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the wine of the water of gall. Uh, for from the prophets of Jerusalem, profaneness has gone out on all the land. So he's directing it now to those who would be prophesying in the name of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you because it's worthless. They speak a vision of their own heart, uh, not from the mouth of the Lord. The Lord says they're not speaking on my behalf. They continually say to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you shall have peace. Now, everything Jeremiah has said is just the opposite. You, you got a certain amount of time, and when we get into the next chapter, um, it'll actually give us a time frame and how long God's going to deal with them. Um, and to everyone who walks according to the imagination of his own heart, no evil will come upon you. Well, when we get to chapter 24, the Lord's going to use two examples of, of figs, good figs, bad figs. And he says, the good figs are going to be the one that listen to me and don't resist King Nebuchadnezzar. You're a good fig. Uh, he's using a symbolism. A bad fig are the ones who's going to be listening to these false prophets. And he says, you guys are toast. You're done in. Because you've listened, you've stayed. Instead of capitulating and, and uh, surrendering, now you're going to die. Um, no evil will come upon you. That was, uh, the false prophets were saying, don't worry about it. Uh, For who has stood in the counsel of the Lord and has perceived and heard his word? Who has marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury, a violent whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and performed the thoughts of his heart. Now, I like this next verse. It's speaking just to us. 
He's saying, you guys in the latter days will understand it perfectly. Well, how do we understand it perfectly? Well, Daniel 9 verse 1 says this. I, Daniel, understood, because I was reading the book of Jeremiah, that 70 years are determined upon it. That's Daniel 9 verse 1. He knew, because he read Jeremiah, that they were going to be in captivity for 70 years. When Daniel wrote Daniel chapter 9, the 70 years was up. He'd been there since he was 17. And he had been there for the full 70 years. So he's speaking from the advantage of hindsight. He's making a direct connection to Jeremiah. Now we're living in the last days. We just read something in verse 5 and 6 that talks about a remnant being restored and regathered, and there's going to be a king over them called the Lord our righteousness. I understand it perfectly. The Lord came, he established his kingdom, and uh, he was rejected, and, uh, but he's, he's coming again. And uh, we have here, now we're living in the latter days, and we do understand it perfectly. I mean, Daniel 9, anybody who will just, I have a, a Jewish friend. Um, I hope he's watching. David in Florida, I hope you're watching tonight. Uh, his his uh, wife is from um, Combined Locks. And um, whenever they're in town, they, they like coming and visiting here. And uh, David is a nice Jewish boy from the Bronx. And... Um, uh, what he did for a living was he did all the odds for the casinos in Vegas. And at one time, he was a very, very wealthy man. Now, his wife, when she moved to Vegas, was a cocktail waitress, and she wasn't saved. But she got saved in Vegas, and they had this Bible study group with <laughs> cocktail waitresses. It's a great story. But anyway, um, uh, whenever they would come up here, well, she would... She would watch Calvary Appleton and then go to the Calvary Chapel, whatever Calvary was in, in Florida. But uh, she would even get her husband to watch live streams. Like, David, if you're watching tonight, God bless you. And uh, when she came out, I wish I could remember her name. I don't see Mary would know, but, but anyway. Uh, getting back to this, the story, I, I made a deal with this guy. Um, uh, I can't remember the, the sister's name, but she said, will you, will you please come and let me take you out for lunch? I want you to meet my, my family because I'm hoping they'll come to church. And if they meet you, maybe we can break the ice and they'll come. And I said, sure, why not? And so they own a restaurant in Combined Locks, pretty well-known one. And um, um, I had a Buffalo Springfield T-shirt on, okay? Everybody here knows, old-timers know who Buffalo Springfield is? Buffalo Springfield was started, um, Neil Young was in it, Richie started it with Stephen Stills, and, and um, they were, of course, very, very famous. Their big song was For What It's Worth. There's something happening here, what it is ain't exactly clear. Everybody with that? So I got this T-shirt on, and it, it says Buffalo Springfield. And she says, you know, my husband is really into this group right here. And I says, well, you see this guy right here? Well, his name is Richie Foray, and he's a Calvary Chapel pastor. And he also started the group Poco. 
And when I said Poco, she says, that's my husband's favorite group. And so she goes back to Florida, talks to her husband, David, and says, guess what? Ricky Ferre, <laughs> that's what she called him, Ricky Ferre. No, it's Richie Ferre. <laughs> and as a, as a Calvary Chapel pastor, and he says, no, there's no way. I've been to 30 Poco concerts, and I've never missed a Poco concert. And trust me, Dwight doesn't, isn't friends with, with Richie. And she says, you want to bet? And he called me up. We talked for an hour on the phone. And um, I challenged him. I said, David, I'll make you a deal. I will get you an autographed copy of Richie's book, of his personal t- testimony called Picking Up the Pieces, which is one of his songs, if you will sit down as a Jewish man and read Daniel chapter 9. Just read it for what it's worth. Oh, was that a poor pun or what? I didn't mean that, <laughs> but it came out. It's sort of a gift I have. I make these puns and I don't know that they happen. But he said, deal. And I, I called Richie up. I said, Richie, I got this guy. He'll, he'll read Daniel 9 if you'll send him an autograph book. He says, oh, no problem. And uh, so he, he read it, and um, I don't know what ever came of it, and I'm telling that story because <laughs> when we read this here, in the latter days you will understand it perfectly. I do. Daniel chapter 9, the reason I wanted him to read it, there's only one man in history that could fulfill Daniel chapter 9 on April 6, 32 AD. It was the very day Jesus allowed himself to be worshipped in Jerusalem. Nobody else can fulfill that. Only Jesus can fulfill that. And you can't explain it away. If you just read Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, it says that 69 weeks or 483 years are determined upon the nation of Israel and your people. And uh, that's when the Messiah will be revealed. And um, it's probably the heaviest and most accurate prophecy in the Bible the very day that Jesus would come. So in the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. We can go back and look back. Did anything happen on April 632 AD of significance? Oh, yeah. That's the day that they were quoting Psalm 118, and Jesus was riding that donkey down the Mount of Olives. And they were saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. Hosanna, save now, save now. And um, that was, can only be fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And I was hoping, you know, David would, would get that. And telling this many stories, there's no, probably not going to make it to 25. Better get back to it. In the latter days, you will understand it perfectly. I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesy. But if they had stood in my counsel and had caused my people to hear my word, then they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. Am I a God near at hand? Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord? And a God afar off, that's a question. And can anyone hide himself in in a secret place? Where are you going to run from? You know, any human. David says, where can I go from your spirit, Lord? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the farthest place on the planet, 
says, even there, your spirit's going to be there. And so here, the, the prophet is saying, can anyone hide from the Lord? Answer, of course not. What a foolish question. Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy lies in my name. And they said, I've dreamed a dream, I've dreamed a dream. How long will this be in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies? Indeed, they are prophets of deceit of their own heart. And we have them today. We have the Kansas City prophets. We have the Brownsville prophets. Um, Mike Bickle and his group down in Kansas City. We got all kinds of false prophets. We got Benny Hinn as a false prophet, prophesying in their own prosperity. Things that people really want to hear, but they're not, they're not coming from the Lord. Um, the prophet who has dreamed a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. And here's one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. And I know you say, Dwight, you say that all the time with every other scripture. But this one really is. He says, what is the chaff to the wheat, says the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? Let's just look at this. What is the wheat to the chaff? He's thinking of these false prophets who are prophesying whatever they want to. What is it? Chaff. You can blow it away. There's absolutely no substance to it, whatever. But he says, what is the chaff? And he says, um, to the wheat. Now, the wheat is this right here. This is a book. It's the word of God. It's inerrant. It uh, can be proven to be um, inerrant simply by using Bible prophecy. It's got hundreds of prophecies. All you have to do is show me one that's wrong. End of discussion. But the thing is, every prophecy ever given in here has come 100% true. And that's how we can know this book is inerrant. This wheat uh, is substance. Jesus said you can't live by what? Bread alone, but by every word from what? Everybody have their three squares today? At least two? We like to feed ourselves, don't we? And we don't like missing a meal. Simple question. What's more important? Being spent fed spiritually or being fed physically? Now, everybody here is going to give me the answer that I want to hear, right? Of course, it's more important to feed yourself spiritually. Well, if you really believe that, then you should be in the word, just like Jesus said, on a daily basis, getting fed. Good place for an amen. (laughs) Amen. What are we doing here tonight? Boy, you guys are really missing out. I mean, we got the Democratic National Convention going on in Philly. City of brotherly love. And you're missing it. Going through a book of Jeremiah that's nothing but whoa, whoa, whoa. And these false prophets. But I'll tell you, you picked a better part. Because God's word will never return void. What is the chaff to the wheat? All this nonsense that's going on by these false prophets that any, any 13-year-old kid can see right through uh, a lot of these television evangelists that are just on the take. And they're doing it for one reason. They, they want something. And it's in your back pocket. <laughs> and uh, they'll try to manipulate and um, get them to buy their book, get you to buy their book. And people see right through it. So 
But I love this verse. What is the wheat to the chaff? There's nothing that satisfies the soul, and I mean nothing. And believe me, I've tried it all, except this book. It brings satisfaction to my soul. We had that song, You Satisfy My Soul, and he's the only thing that satisfies my soul. Nothing else will. Another good place for an amen. And you guys are choosing the better part by simply going through and reading the scriptures. Rest of the chapter. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophet, says the Lord, who steals my words, every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophet, says the Lord, who uses their tongue and, and says, he says. Behold, I'm against those who prophesy false dreams, says the Lord, and tells them and causes my people to err by their lies and their recklessness. Yet I did not send them or command them. Therefore, they shall not profit this people at all, says the Lord. So when these people or the prophets or the priests ask you, saying, what is the oracle of the Lord? You shall then say to them, what oracle? I will even forsake you, says the Lord. And as for the prophet and the priests and the people who say the oracle of the Lord, I will even punish that man and his house. Thus every one of you shall say to his neighbor and every one to his brother, what has the Lord answered? And what has the Lord spoken? And the oracle of the Lord you shall Mention no more, for every man's word will be his oracle, uh, for you have perverted the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. And thus you shall say to the prophet, what has the Lord answered you, and what has the Lord spoken? But since you say the oracle of the Lord, therefore thus says the Lord, because you say this word, the oracle of the Lord, and I have sent to you saying, Do not say the oracle of the Lord. Therefore, behold, I, even I, will utterly forget you, forsake you, and the city that I gave you and your fathers, and I'm going to cast you out of my presence, and I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and a perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. Not very happy-clappy, but very, very true. And I understand it perfectly because it's now a historical fact. Everything that he's saying here is, well, maybe this will happen, maybe it won't. And we'll have to wait and see as far as the people are concerned. But we understand it perfectly because it's a fact of history that, and that's what chapter 24 is actually the time frame as as, um, we get into these... uh, just two sets of people. Let's pick it up. This is his 11th sermon. And then the Lord showed me. It's only 10 verses long, so it's very short. We're just going to cut it in two with, with um, two baskets of figs. Again, he, he uses um, illustrations, and he uses uh, pictures to help uh, drive the point home of what he's trying to say. He said, the Lord showed me, and there were two baskets of figs set before the temple of the Lord. After Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, and the prince of Judah and the craftsmen from Jerusalem had brought them to Babylon. Now, chapter 24 is sort of an appendix relating a vision given after Jeconiah had been carried away into captivity. 
Therefore, it was during the early part of Zedekiah's reign. In a vision, Jeremiah was shown two baskets of figs, of course, being symbolic of Judah. One basket contained good fruits, the other bad fruits. They symbolized two classes of people. And uh, in verse 2, one basket had very good figs, like the figs that are first ripe. And the other basket was bad figs, which could not be eaten because they were so bad. Then the Lord said to me, what, what do you see, Jeremiah? He said, well, I see good figs, very good. And the bad, very bad. They can't even be eaten, they're so bad. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah. In other words, there's going to be those that will submit. They won't fight against Nebuchadnezzar when he comes in. And he's likening them to the ones that are going to stay alive. I will acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have sent out of this place for their own good into the land of the Chaldeans. Parents, you can identify with this. You ever give your kid a timeout? You get a timeout. You get this much timeout. And you're going to be put in a certain place for a certain amount of time. And then when a timeout is over, I'll let you know. And basically, that's what he's saying to the good ones here. I'm going to give you a timeout. You're going to have a 70-year timeout. And um, then I'm going to bring you back. And that's what verse 7. You're going to return to me with your whole heart. I'll give you a new heart. Now, verse 8 is the other side of the coin. The bad, bad ones and the bad figs which cannot be eaten, well, they're so bad. Surely, thus says the Lord, so will I give up Zedekiah, the king of Judah, the princes, the residue of Jerusalem who remain in the land and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. Zedekiah would have been the last of the kings. And um, when Nebuchadnezzar actually did come in, I will deliver them to trouble into all the kingdoms of the earth for their harm, to be a reproach, a byword, a taunt, a curse, in places where I have driven them, and I will send the sword, the famine, and the pestilence among them till they are consumed from the land that I gave to them and their families. Chapter 24 is simply another way of, of saying this is really going to happen, but now he divides it into two classes of people. Good figs, bad figs. Good figs, you guys go into captivity. Have your time out there. Let me deal with you. And then I'm going to bring you back. But if you fight against um, Nebuchadnezzar, um, you're the ones that are going to be killed. Our last chapter is now Jeremiah's 12th sermon. And um, let's pick it up here. This chapter, let me give you a little bit of background. This chapter deals with a prophecy which was given about 17 or 18 years before the previous chapter. Let me say that again. This chapter deals with a prophecy which was given about 17 or 18 years before the previous chapter. Now keep in mind that the book of Jeremiah is not arranged in a chronological order. The son of Josiah is Jehoiakim, was on the throne. Now, Josiah was a very good king. And we, we read that Jeremiah and Josiah were buddies. 
And when Josiah died, Jeremiah mourned for him. So here, the son of Jehoiah, Jehoiakim, he was not a good king like his father. He was a very different and very, um, from his father, he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, which the Lord would not pardon. And Jeremiah makes this, this pointed change in verse one of chapter 25. Then the word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was in the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, from the first thirteenth year, I'm going to read down in verse 12 so you'll, you'll get the thought what's happening here. From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, even to this day, this is the 23rd year in which the word of the Lord had, had come to me. I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you as his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you did not listen or incline your ear to them. They said, repent now every one of his evil ways and his evil doings and dwell in the land of the Lord that he's given to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with the words of your hands, and I will not harm you. Yet you haven't listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the words of your works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, notice he calls him my servant. Here's an instrument, a pagan king, a world dictator, but he's an instrument in the Lord's hand to discipline his own people, my servant. And I will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, against these nations, all around and utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, a perpetual desolation. Moreover, I will take them from the voice of myrrh and a voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone and the light of lamp. And this whole land will be a desolation and an astonishment and these nations will serve the king of Babylon and here it is for the first time where he says, 70 years. And then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and the nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. Tell you what, just turn over to um, Daniel, Daniel 9, real quick. And let's connect some dots here. I quoted it earlier, but I want you to see it, and I want you to know where Daniel got it from. Daniel 9, verse 1, he says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, or Babylon, in the first year of his reign, 
I, Daniel, I understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord given through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. And then in verses 3 through 19, he realizes that they're there because of their sin, which they never repented of. So what does Daniel do? Well, from verse 3 all the way to 19 is a very intense prayer of repentance. And if you take time to read it, you'll notice something. It escalates. And it builds almost to like a crescendo to by the time you get to verse 19, it's, he's getting to the point, oh Lord, hear, oh Lord, forgive, oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for, my, for your sake, Lord, for your city and your people who call by your name. And he's going on, and all of a sudden he gets interrupted by Gabriel the angel. In the middle of this prayer, all he wanted to know was, seven years are up, Lord, it's time to go home. The question is, well, how did he know that? All right, let's go back to to Jeremiah 25. Now he's prophesying, and he says that I'm going to keep you there for 70 years. Daniel was a student of prophecy, and he knew what to do. But here's the thing. Because he knew what to do, he began to pray, and... The Lord answered his prayer, but he gave him so much more. He gave him the whole, um, even, even into yet future, what's going to happen with the abomination of desolation. That's all in Daniel chapter 9. And so uh, where did Daniel get it from? Well, we just read the verse, uh, verse 25. All right, let's see if we can finish this up here. In verse 12, He then goes on to say, the very instrument that I choose to judge Israel, now I'm going to have to deal with them. So I don't fully always grasp the the ways of the Lord. He uses Nebuchadnezzar as an instrument of discipline. And then he turns around and says, now I'm going to go after you guys for, well, let's read it. Um... Then it will come to pass when the seven years are accomplished, then I'm going to punish the king of, of Babylon and that nation and the land of the, the Chaldeans for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. Question, is there a Babylon today? No. He says it'll be a perpetual desolation. Um, oh, Dwight, don't try to dig up names when you can't remember um, who, was the, who was the dictator in Iraq who fell? Who? Say it loud, my ears are... Who? Saddam Hussein. There, there's. I just couldn't dig it out. It's back there, but I need a little help from time to time. I'm getting old, what can I say? Of course, you know, he's, he spent um, um, millions and millions of dollars starting to rebuild the ancient city of Babylon. Uh, the gates are in some museum of, uh, of, uh, in London somewhere. But um, there, that is, is not going to happen. There will be something that's called Babylon, both religiously, Mystery Babylon, 
mother of harlots. That's the religious one that's, according to Revelation 17, is located in Rome, city of seven hills. But then there is um, a monetary, Revelation 18, that's also called Babylon, that's destroyed in one hour's time. And it appears to be the trading center of the earth. And I don't have time to do my sidetrack here, but um, quite a few people, I went online for a long time, I was the only one that had this feeling about uh, this commercial enterprise in the Middle East. But believe me, I'm already at my time and I just can't go there. If you want to talk to me about it sometime, I'd be happy to do it. Let's finish our chapter. Concerning Babylon, verse 13, I will bring on the land my word, which I have pronounced against it, all that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations. Now, he's not only going to judge Babylon. Babylon is interesting, fell in one night. Remember the writing on the wall? And it says, it says you're going to be divided between the Medes and the Persians. And that very night, um, he died. And just like Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, died in one night. Whole power structure changed. With one battle, when one angel took out 185,000 Assyrians in one night, their power structure changed. Well, the Lord says he's going to do that to Babylon. Well, that's exactly what happened. And he did it in one night. And, but now it goes from nation Babylon to plural in verse 14. For many nations and great kings shall be served by them also, and I will repay them according to their deeds and according to the works of their own hand. For thus says the Lord God of Israel to me, take this wine cup of fury from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send it to drink it. And they will drink and and stagger and go mad because the sword that I will send among them. Then I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations drink to whom the Lord had sent me. And here we get into a list of them. Jerusalem and the cities of Judea, its kings and its princes to make them a desolation, an astonishment, a hissing, and a curse, as it is this day. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his servants and princes and all his people, and all the mixed multitudes, all the kings of the land of Uz, and the land of the Philistines, namely Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the remnants of Ashdod, it's in the news last week. Any, any of you guys catch the uh, archaeological dig where they found uh, giant bo- giant's bones? Anybody catch it besides me? Was, yeah, some of you did. Uh, this, it was in one of the, um, it was either Ekron or Ashdod, one of the, one of the five uh, Philistine cities. Um, these are all, by the way, um, close to Gaza. Verse 21, Edom and Moab and the people of Ammon and all the kings of Tyre, all the kings of Sidon, the kings of the coastland, which are across the sea, uh, Dedan, Timar, Buzz, and all who are in the farthest corners, all the kings of Arabia and the kings of the mixed multitudes who dwell in the desert, all the kings of Zimri, all the kings of Elam and all the kings of the Medes, all the kings of the north, far and near, one with another, and the kingdoms of of the world which are in the face of the earth. Also the king of Shishak shall drink after them. Therefore you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, drink, be drunk, and vomit. 
Fall and rise no more because of the sword which I will send among you. And it shall be if they refuse to take the cup from your hand to drink, then you will say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, you shall certainly drink, for behold, I will begin to bring calamity on the city which is called by my name, and should you be utterly unpunished? I, I see a parallel here, you know. The scripture says that, that the judgment of the Lord starts first where? In the house of the Lord. So when we read these chapters, where does judgment start? Well, it starts in Jerusalem and Judea. Where does it go next to? Babylon. Then where? The rest of the world. And um, for behold, I will bring the calamity on this city, which is called by my name, and you will be utterly punished. You will not be unpunished, for I will call for a sword on all of its inhabitants of the earth, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, prophesy against them. All these words, says the Lord. And the Lord will roar from on high and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He will roar mightily against his fold. He will give a shout at those who tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. A noise will come to the ends of the earth for the Lord has a controversy with the nations. He has a controversy with the nations today. But there's a remnant, there's a jewel. It's called his church. And um, without getting too sidetracked here, the other shoe gang is getting ready to drop. I don't know what form it's going to take. Dave Hunt was always persuaded that it would be the rapture of the church that would be the, the shoe that would drop that would usher in the wrath of the Lamb. That's Revelation 6, verse 17. The, the time of the wrath of the Lamb, where God will judge this entire world. And he's going to do it over a seven-year period of time. And uh, he will bring judgment on a Christ-rejecting world. And um, there isn't a day that goes by that we can't say, well, let me ask you a question. Is it getting better or better, or is it getting worse and worse? I mean, it's sort of a no-brainer, right? And we, we, like we read in the chapter earlier, in the latter days, you'll understand it perfectly. The Lord says, it's just the beginning of sorrows. So it's all leading up to that moment when the Lord's going to call his church home. The restraining force will be removed, and then all hell will break out on planet Earth. And uh, here he's talking about um, these judgments. All right, let's finish chapter out. Verse 32, <clears throat> this is a, a descriptive of uh, the tremendous movement of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. As he moved out over the civilized world of his day, He brought even Egypt and Tyre and Sidon, these great powers, under his sovereignty. Uh, The verses that conclude this chapter give a graphic description of the day of the Lord's anger with the nations and their shepherds and kings. So let's finish it out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, disaster shall go forth from nation to nation, and a great whirlwind will be raised up from the farthest parts of the earth. And at that day the slain of the Lord shall be from one end of the earth even to the other end of the earth. They shall not be 
lamented or gathered or buried. They become refuge on the ground. Wail shepherds and cry. Roll about in the ashes, you leaders of the flock. For the days of your slaughter and uh, dispersions are fulfilled. You, You shall fall like a precious vessel. And the shepherds will have no way to flee, nor the leaders of the flock to escape. A voice of the cry of the shepherds and a willing of the leaders to the flocks will be heard. For the Lord has plundered their pasture and the peaceful habitations are cut down because of the fierce anger of the Lord, because he left his hair, no, he has left his lyre like the lion, uh, for their land is desolate because of the fierceness of the oppressor and because of his fierce anger. 23, 24, and 25 is um, the chapters where we have the main one, a direct prophecy that the Lord is not done with Israel and that he has yet seven years that he owes them. And I'll close with Daniel 9 tonight. As I stand before you and as we close out the Wednesday night Bible study, um, we're living at the end of sort of that gap in time where the clock stopped. When Jesus said, you will not see me again until, he's talking to Israel, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He was taken bodily into heaven. And then he takes this remnant after the rapture of the church. And um, there's Messianic Jews in Israel today. When the rapture happens, they're going up with us. But there's going to be two witnesses for the first part of this seven-year period of time. They prophesy for 1,260 days. Um, If I was the Lord and I was going to pick two people to witness to my people, who do you think he'd come up with? I think Moses and Elijah was a great pick, don't you? And they're going to know it's them. Well, Dwight, how can you be so sure they're going to know it's Moses and Elijah? Peter, James, and John didn't have an introduction on the Mount of Transfiguration who was standing in front of them. They just knew. They said, that's Moses and that's Elijah. And they were so caught up with it that the Lord had to speak from heaven and saying, listen up, boys, this is my beloved son. He's the one I want you to listen to. Yeah, but Moses is here, and Elijah's here. So the church is taken, and um, the Lord owes Israel seven years according to Daniel chapter 9. The clock stopped when Jesus said to the Jewish people, you're not going to see me again until you say. Well, they're going to say that again. Well, when are they going to say it? They're going to say it at the... um, end of this seven-year period of time, the Bible even tells us where. Isaiah 16 says they're going to be in Petra. And uh, he's going to, the Bible says in Isaiah 63, who is this with his garment stained coming from Petra, Moab, Selah? And that's where the remnant have been supernaturally protected for three and a half years. And so what are they going to do? They're going to say, Lord, help. And what does the Lord do? 
He shows up just like he's, he promised he would do. I feel like preaching, but I'm 10 minutes past my time. What am I going to do? I'm a frustrated preacher. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, there's lots to take in here tonight. And um, some of it's been fulfilled. We see this wonderful prophecy. I thank you for the divine appointment this morning with pulling out notes from this very chapter. And Lord, I see your hand in it. And I thank you that you're alive and you still work today supernaturally, naturally. And you promised as we go through our word that we'd, we'd get it. That there are charlatans that are out there that are false prophets who want to take advantage of the sheep. But your word tells us what is your word to these charlatans. It's the real stuff. It's, it's wheat. And so we thank you for uh, just dining on your word tonight as we've gone through these three chapters. I pray that it would once again help us stay the course and keep our feet focused on true north, and that is the promise of your coming. And in the meantime, Lord, that we be about our Father's business. These things we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.